Hi, this is Sherry Walling. Welcome to the second episode of Parenting Reimagined. So I have to say I was completely overwhelmed by the response to the first episode. Over 100 people downloaded the first episode in the first 24 hours. So that's totally awesome and amazing. And um, I also should say publicly that this project is very much based on the hard work and support of my husband, Rob, who is the resident techie. So thank you, Rob. And thank you to all of you who listened and who are now listening again. Our story today is about another surprise beginning, another adventure that began with a bang. Three, two, one, zero. Yeah, I'd like to say we became parents in 48 hours. So while we were on vacation, we got a call that a baby boy had been born. And so when we got back after 14 hours of flying and then one rest, one sleepless night, we went to the hospital and we adopted our son. Tyler Watson is the adoptive father of 10-month-old Elijah and the husband of Carrie. He is a writer, speaker, theologian, and before deciding to stay home with his son full-time, he served as a pastor in both senior and associate capacities. Tyler is an old friend, one of the smartest people I know, and he blogs regularly at spacebetweenmyears.com. This is Parenting Reimagined, a place where the conversation goes beyond what we do as parents, and we take the time to consider what parenting teaches us, how it transforms us, and what being parents means for the landscape of our inner lives. I am Sherry Walling. So would you begin by talking about the, the somewhat surprising, somewhat unconventional way in which you became a father? My wife and I have always wanted to adopt ever since we are both kids. Adoptions played a big role in both of our family's stories. And we had put off having kids while we were in grad school and while my wife, uh, Carrie, was in residency for OBGYN just because it would be a crazy time to have kids. We came out of that season, we, we looked at each other, we'd been married about 10 years, and we said, maybe now is the time to adopt, start a family. In 2011, we started looking at the different types of adoption. So after we decided on a domestic private adoption, we began the process of choosing an agency jumping through all the legal hoops. We were going for an open adoption, which was somewhat new to us uh, because the adoptions we were familiar with were closed where our family members didn't know their birth families at all. That was legally sealed. Uh, but with an open adoption, you're looking, we were looking to have an ongoing relationship with our child's birth parents and even their extended families. We created a brochure, essentially, of ourselves saying, this is what we're like, this is our family, uh, this is, these are the types of things we like to do, and we, our agency gave those to 
birth moms who were looking to place their kids with adoption. What was it about an open adoption that appealed to you? We read a lot of literature about it, and what we liked about the open adoption was that the questions that adoptive kids naturally have of who do I look like, what's my own genetic history. I know a lot of people who have been adopted, those questions that have just lingered in them, in their minds, and really stuck with them for years and years, that those questions would be answered throughout this kid's life. So that our son, by having an ongoing relationship with his birth family, he's going to know who he looks like. He's going to know why he, his eyes are shaped the way they're shaped. He's going to know the family history from his birth family. It's not going to be these big questions that hang out there. Sounds like it was really thinking about what would be best for your child and what would be kind of best for their identity development that that led you toward at least thinking about an open adoption. Yeah, that that was that was our hope. It would be beneficial to him, but the the research that we saw was also it was beneficial for all the parties involved. It would be beneficial to us as adoptive parents because we'd be able to have resources to answer those questions that he might have. But it was also really healthy for the birth parents that they would know that this child would know about them. They wouldn't just be forgotten. This child would, as much as possible, include them in their lives. It wasn't that old phrase of giving up for adoption, but it was placing with a family. Hmm. It's an interesting turn of phrase that, you know, the, the distinction in the language between giving up, which sort of evokes this image of abandoning, but your rephrase of that, which is placing with, which is just a a more positive kind of view of what that process is like for the birth parents. Right. It gives them a lot more power. It's not abdication. It really is that they, they have a lot of say, and it's an act of love to place for adoption. So you were talking about a couple of minutes ago, having to make this brochure to sell yourself, essentially, yeah. to a birth family. We got the brochure together. We got a website together. We jumped through all our hoops, and we were ready to match with the family. And our agency told us that, on average, it takes about a year to match. And uh, we were coming up on our 10th anniversary And we wanted to take a big trip to celebrate that. And we were saying, well, maybe we should hold off putting our brochure out there. And the agency said, no, don't worry about it. You're not going to match while you guys are gone. Well, we matched five weeks into the process. It was a a last-minute match, meaning the the child had already been born. A lot of these open adoptions, the idea is that birth families would match with adoptive families during the pregnancy and develop a relationship as the birth mom is pregnant with the child. But sometimes uh, birth moms aren't in a place to make those decisions until the last minute, and that was one of our, that was our case. And so while we were on vacation, we got a call that a baby boy had been born near where we lived. The birth mom has chosen you. She'd love to meet you. And so when we got back, we went straight to the hospital after 14 hours of flying and then one rest, one sleepless night, we went to the hospital and we adopted our son. Wow. So straight from vacation to fatherhood. 
Yeah, yeah, I'd like to say we became parents in 48 hours. As you reflect on the adoption process, now that you've had your son and been parenting your son for 10 months, were there any hidden lessons about parenting? One of the things that was just amazing to me was how much our friends and family rallied around us. I was really freaked out because we we had not prepared for this yet. We were expecting to do the traditional match during pregnancy. So we, we owned nothing for a kid. My wife actually bought a stuffed monkey in the airport on the way back. That was the first thing we owned for our son. And I was freaking out about that. I was thinking, we are not ready for this. There, I was excited for the prospect of adopting this child, but there's a big part of me that just says, we're, logistically, we're not ready. I was amazed by the generosity of friends and family who, when we told them we're adopting immediately, people were mailing us baby stuff. We had to start sending stuff back because we got so many gifts and hand-me-downs and it was just the generosity of people. And I, I really saw that parenting happens in a community. So that need for community was kind of your first lesson of parenting, the lesson that you can't really do it by yourself. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we, we couldn't. I mean, the day that we met our son and we decided to adopt him, we went to Target and we're just staring at all the diapers and formula and we had no idea what to buy. And we came home and there's our friend with the boxes of baby stuff. And he just, he, he looks at us and he's like, hey, I'll put your car seat in. Don't worry about it. They just took care of us. And it was, it was an amazing experience. What do you enjoy about being a father? I really enjoy getting to know my son for who he is and getting to know his his personality. I mean, he's a silly kid. It's amazing. I remember my, my father-in-law was asking me this, what what Elijah was like, and I said, oh, he's, he's just got a great sense of humor, and this was around seven months, and my father-in-law just, at the beginning, he said, sense of humor, but th- by the end of the weekend, he was like, I totally see what you mean. He's a silly kid. He likes to laugh. He, he'll do things that are goofy just to get other people to laugh. It's been a joy to be a father with my wife, Carrie, because... I get to see her become this amazing mom. I, I mean, we both knew we wanted to have kids, but you know, neither of us had been parents before. It's amazing to see her grow into this and have this shape her identity as well. And it's been so real and rewarding for us. I feel like it's enriched her and her personality. It's enriched me and my personality. Elijah isn't the entirety of our lives, but he has made it a lot more full. I wasn't really expecting that. So you've learned a lot about your son in the last 10 months, and you've learned a lot about your wife as you've seen her grow into this new role as mother. Mm -hmm. But what has becoming a father taught you about yourself? Going into parenthood, I think I had a question that a lot of parents struggle with of just, how am I going to do this? How am I going to raise this kid? I've seen that this, I'm, I'm kind of cut out for this in, in a good way. I don't mean to be, I don't mean to brag. Being a parent certainly shows me my, my shortcomings. I, I'm challenged to learn patience a lot more deeply than I have in the past. I mean, I'm stuck with this 
nine and a half month old who's got a snotty nose and hates it when I'm trying to wipe the snot off of his face. And I have no means or powers of reason or persuasion with him, which usually I'd be able, I'd be able to say with everybody else, let's sit down and talk this through. And I just can't do that with him. And so it, it challenges me. It shows me that my limitation of patience, but it also shows me the power of perseverance in this too, because in myself that he's, he's still there. He still needs the snot wiped off his nose. And so take a deep breath and say, we're doing this and I'm going to do it in a way that's as loving as possible, even though I'm convinced he's trying to build a case to put me up before the Hague and for crimes against humanity for wiping his nose. But it sounds like you find the patience and the strength and the humor to do those things, whether it's the snotty nose or whatever parenting task is ahead of you. And that's what you've learned about yourself is that you can do it. You're capable. Yeah. There's just this element of saying, it doesn't matter what I feel right now. I've got to do this. And kind of at the end, I realize, okay, I can do this. I can wipe his nose and without having my own conniption. So you became a father not too long after losing your own father. Right. What has it been like for you to step into the role of father without him around to ask for support or advice? It's been hard. I've missed him in in unique ways this year, ways that I wasn't expecting because before I was missing my dad as my dad, and now I'm missing Elijah's granddad. I miss him for Elijah as well as for myself because he was a good dad and he had a lot of wisdom when I think back on my relationship with my dad, I see him as playing a much more pivotal role as I got older. When I was a teenager, he was a very important force in my life. He really helped me leave home. He helped me make decisions to grow into adulthood. I know I'm going to miss having those conversations with him about how do you raise a boy to be somebody who does the right thing? How do you raise a boy to be responsible? I, I'm going to miss his humor a lot because I think I could kind of tell him the crap of my day and he would just be able to laugh at it and say, yeah, well, that's that's fatherhood. And I, I need that voice. You need that voice of perspective and someone who's gone before you and done it already. Right. And I, I'm I'm a lot like my dad in many ways being able to go back to him and say, how did you deal with me when I was like this? And he, I, w- I wish I could get that kind of that, that perspective and that, that experience. You made a big vocational change shortly after you became a father. Mm-hmm. Would you mind telling me a bit about that decision and maybe say a bit about how it's going? I was serving as an associate pastor um, at a church nearby, and I've been slowly working on receiving ordination in the Covenant Church. When we adopted Elijah, it happened so fast, we weren't expecting it. We hadn't made any kind of child care plans yet. My wife and I quickly realized we wanted to have somebody that was home with him. And virtue of lots of different factors, it was the best, it made the most sense for me to be at home. And I realized I wanted 
I wanted to be at home. It wasn't just, this is the most pragmatic decision. I didn't know what I was getting myself into, to be honest. It's a significant change to go from talking with adults, trying to lead ministries in a church to changing diapers. There have been a, I mean, a couple of surprises. One is it's just it's felt really natural. It hasn't been as challenging as I thought it could have been. But there are aspects of being in an adult workspace that I miss. Uh, there are definitely aspects of being in ministry that I miss. I don't necessarily feel like I'm done with that part of my life, but it's the professional ministry is on hold for the time being. You recently went to a conference for stay-at-home fathers. Yeah. What's it been like to jump into this new world, not only of fatherhood, but of being a stay-at-home dad? It's been a little lonely, I'll admit that. Uh, Being a stay-at-home dad, it's becoming a lot more accepted, but it's still a relatively new phenomenon. The conference that I went to with the National At Home Dads Network was wonderful, just hanging out with a bunch of guys who really take being a dad seriously, who really see it as a calling. And it was great to sit around with a bunch of dads at a bar having drinks and and talk about sports or whatever. And then the next simple question is like, so how do you guys handle this bedtime routine? And that was really life-giving. I haven't run into a lot of the uh, the prejudices or kind of the ostracization that some of my counterparts describe where they go to playground and nobody will talk to them. But I notice subtler ways of, I would say, bias against at-home dads. There's this, this kind of assumption that I, I'm doing this because I lost my job, which is not the truth, even though a lot of at-home dads do it because they... The economy tanked. They lost their jobs, and that's that's not terrible. But I, I did this because I chose to do it. Immediately, I'd say, hey, I'm going to be at home with my son for a while. And very quickly, people said, so are you going to go back to school? What, are you going to get another job? It was kind of like, well, I'm going to be at home with my son. And it, 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 as if that wasn't enough. Look, this is what I'm doing. I'm staying home with my son right now. And that's the plan. Yeah, exactly. And in ways that I don't think at-home moms... I don't think they're they're looked at with that kind of expectation that this is this is only just a holding pattern. Besides reorganizing your day job, how has becoming a father changed you? Becoming a father solidified my priorities in a way that I had not expected. I mean, immediately going into work the first day after adopting our son. I was I had a long commute and as I was driving there I just immediately thought I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this for him. I don't want to do this for my family. And it again, I love that job. I loved that the church I was working at. I loved the people. I had no intention of leaving this church, but having Elijah immediately told me my priority is to be local to my son. My priority is to worship as a family near where we live. My priority is that we as a family would be really involved in our community because I was commuting about 40 miles one direction. My wife is commuting 30 miles in another direction. The house where we live was essentially a bedroom for us. 
my job at the church meant I was tutoring at schools 40 miles away, even though I live within three blocks of three schools, and I've never done any kind of volunteer work with them. Having Elijah told me I want to be involved where my son is going to grow up. That was a pretty drastic change for you and for your entire family. Kind of reorganized everything very quickly. Even though those are values that really you've held for a long time, sounds like they just solidified and you needed to act on them. I I could no longer say this is a value I, I hold, but I'm going to not implement right now. I felt like I needed to implement those values immediately. There was an urgency to that. Yeah. This was a moment where I just said, I got to put my money where my mouth is. So you are a theologian and I've worked as a pastor. Has becoming a father brought a fresh perspective to the way that you see or understand God? When I read the Bible and I read the metaphors of how God loves people and describes people as children and the New Testament talks a lot about that the Gentiles have been adopted into the family of God. Those metaphors have so much more resonance for me because when I look at Elijah and I just stare at him, I just say, there is nothing more that could happen that would make you more of my son. And when I read those adoption metaphors in the New Testament, it makes me feel so much more embraced by God than I had felt embraced before. There's an an Eastern Orthodox belief that the whole world was not only created by God, but God sustains it every single second. The fact that the universe exists is an act of grace. And that if God removed his presence or God stopped caring, consciously caring for the universe, that we would all just kind of dissipate and fall apart. And I've come to appreciate that value so much more having an infant who can't do anything for himself. I know that if I don't do my job of wiping his nose, feeding him, putting him down, changing his diaper, taking the dirt out of his mouth that he was eating today, Elijah's not going to make it. (laughs) And it's made me so much more aware of how much I need God how much I need Jesus to survive. More important, how much I need to foster that awareness because I think it's so easy for me to become numb to that need. It's a really interesting idea, if I heard you correctly, this way of talking about sustaining the world as an act of grace. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like what you've taken from that is that parenting is an act of grace. Is that a fair jump? That's pretty profound. You should. um. (laughs) So parenting is an act of grace. Unpack that for me. I, I understand grace from in the biblical perspective of God always being the initiator that there was nothing of our own virtue that's made God love us. Being a parent, especially in in many ways, I mean, being an an adoptive parent, I'm in many ways bucking the 
the evolutionary trend. He Elijah is not my DNA. Choosing to love him and choosing to care for him is is an act of grace. Parenting is not an act of response necessarily. It's it's an initiative act. Is we are we are moving forward. We are choosing to care for these children not out of anything that they've done. They didn't choose us. In many ways, we have to make that choice every morning to to get up and say, all right, I'm going to change your diaper. And in many ways, that's that's the love of God. Especially with infants, that they don't do anything useful. They don't contribute. They're not, they, they don't make meaning. The only sort of motivation that we have to care for them is purely out of love. Yeah. Which sounds like the divine act of grace to me, that it's really only motivated by love. Yeah. 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 I, I, I would absolutely agree with that. I mean, I, I think of the first six weeks of parenting are just utter hell. I mean, I remember the first time we got a smile out of Elijah that wasn't gas related and I danced because I was like, finally we get some feedback. That's not just him screaming at me to care for somebody that is just so helpless is itself this, this gracious act. And to think that that's, that's a perfect way of describing God's relationship with us of God, God's choosing to love us. It's not because we did anything to earn that. I remember also thinking when I initially heard the story about you and Carrie adopting Elijah, I remember thinking that this is also a redemptive act. It's a way of saving Elijah from a life that would have been very difficult. That by choosing to bring him into your family and make him your son, there's a way in which you're redeeming him. I don't know if that sits with how that sits with you. We adopted Elijah on Palm Sunday, and I don't see that as a coincidence that his adoption happened on the beginning of Holy Week, which we celebrate and remember Christ's death and resurrection, which is the ultimate redemptive act. But I remember thinking that the adoption is a redemptive act for so many people, not just for Elijah. His birth mom was making, and I, I want to be careful telling his this story because it, I believe it's Elijah's story and his birth mom's story, but I think it's safe to say that she just did not believe she was in a place where she was ready to parent. And so we were offering some sort of redemption to her so that she would not feel burdened with this with the responsibility of taking care of this new life we were offering elijah some redemption because we were giving him a home that he would not otherwise have if he had stayed with his birth family but i also see them as the birth family being involved in uh in the redemption as well because i don't take it lightly that many kids in the same situation, many babies in the same situation, there's a great chance it could have been aborted. And I see that the the choice of the birth family to bring Elijah to term as, an, as a redemptive act as well. It's been an incredibly healing experience, I think, for many of us involved in this process. It's not just 
uh, Elijah getting a life that he wouldn't wouldn't have had, but we we received a life that we wouldn't have had without Elijah, and I feel very, very loved and humbled by his birth family. So there's a lot of grace and redemption being passed around in this story for you and Carrie, for for your son and for his birth family as well. Yeah, absolutely. As I've talked with a lot of parents, I've heard parents say or talk about how difficult it is to feel spiritually connected mm-hmm. when they're in this season of parenting that you're in, which is so physically and time demanding. Have you found that to be the case? Honestly, no. Um, I, 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 I'm sympathetic to that, certainly. I think spirituality changes with parenting. What has it looked like for you during this season? Before we adopted Elijah, undergone some spiritual direction and was a part of a group uh, that was practicing Ignatian spirituality. We were all kind of in a similar place making big life decisions. And so this was a way of discerning where God was moving. And one of the key parts of that is the prayer of examine, which every day we review what are the high points and the low points or what are the things you're most thankful for and the things you're least thankful for and train yourself to kind of begin to see patterns that maybe the things that you're most thankful for are the areas that God is moving you toward or the things that you're least thankful for and maybe this is things that God is saying, that's not what I've made you to be. It's a simple prayer. It's a simple discipline of just at the end of each day just saying, thinking about going back over the day and saying what are the highs and the lows but it really trains me to look for God's presence in the moment. And it's a great little discipline because it it's not just something I can look over a day, but I can it, it goes bigger and smaller. I can look over the year and say, what was I most thankful for? What was I least thankful for in the moment? What if, if I'm doing a task with Elijah and I can say, okay, I finished this task. What was I most thankful for? What was I least thankful for? It helps me see that God's reaching out even in the most mundane activities. Sounds like you've found ways to see the the moments of God in the daily practices of parenting. Even if it's by asking yourself the simple questions of the examine, what was life giving today? What am I grateful for today? This has been, becoming a parent has been an amazing change in my spirituality because you had mentioned my father dying and prior to that, but certainly that was a a key point. It seemed like every other year in my life, I lost somebody or some traumatic event happened in my family and I really experienced and grew in knowing the darker side of faith, the side that questions God, the side that laments, the side that doubts. But I came out of it still with a faith intact, but I, I realized like I had missed that delight in God. I missed the lightness and the joy of following Jesus. And so last year I prayed to God, I asked him, could you teach me to delight again? And lo and behold, I adopt a kid. And it's been the greatest joy of my life. 
few few people do delight better than a nine-month-old. I absolutely agree. I feel like a, God is teaching me to delight again through being around this joyful, fat nine-month-old. One of the things that I have been really impacted by over the course of my life as a parent are the things that my children teach me. And it's it's interesting to hear you sort of talking about the way that Elijah is mentoring you oh, yeah. in joy and in delight and in these wonderful qualities that children have that we get worn down over yeah. time and we often lose. So he's been a gift in so many ways. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I remember holding him one morning and I actually was able to read the Bible while I was giving him a bottle. This is when he was still really immobile. And I remember just looking at him thinking, what in the world am I going to teach you? You have taught me more about God than I could ever teach you. And it's, it's really humbling and amazing. So when Elijah is all grown up, mm-hmm. when he's 18 and goes off to Berkeley or NYU or Harvard or wherever he goes, how do you hope he describes you to his new college friends. What's he going to say about dear old dad? I would hope he'd say that I'm somebody that he respects, that he, that he sees somebody who really tries to follow God, tries to follow uh, Jesus and loves other people. I I, I mean, I'm not into the whole friendship parenting thing. I don't want, Elijah doesn't need me to be his best buddy, but I want him to, I, I hope he can, talk to me about any subject and I hope that we would have a relationship where we can really be honest and go in depth with one another. And well, I mean, Berkeley is a great school, but that's only 20 miles from home. So I hope you guys further than that. for listening to this episode of Parenting Reimagined. If you like what you heard, visit our website, parentingreimagined.org, and sign up for our mailing list. You can also like us on Facebook. Thanks for taking the time to be part of this community of parents who's committed to learning the deeper lessons of parenting. 